0: If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Alison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast, Thank you so much for listening. Later on.
1: Well, hi, and thanks for checking out Basic Folk, a podcast where we have honest conversations, With Folk Musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. I'm the host, Cindy House, and it's so lovely to have you here. Let's talk about a couple things before we get into our guest today, Tammy Nielsen. If you would like to stay in touch with us, we would love it for you to sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can do that at basicfolk.com. Follow us on social media at Basic Pod. If you have been listening for a while or this is your first time listening to Basic Folk, we're a listener-supported podcast. You can make a financial contribution by going to basicfolk.com slash donate. Uh, You will get a monthly bonus episode that lives backstage on our website, and you gain access to that by giving at least $5 a month or $60 for the entire year. There is a link in the show notes you can check out, but you can go to basicfolk.com. .com/donate. Okay, let's talk about Tammy Nielsen. We go track by track on the Canadian-born, New Zealand feminist troublemaker and country music superstar Tammy Nielsen's fifth album, Kingmaker. Recorded at Neil Finn's Roundhead Studios, the songs of Kingmaker expose industry systems, exploding patriarchal structures of the industry, society, and family. It's definitely not new territory for Tammy. Her previous two albums called attention to misogyny and patriarchal structures. However, Tammy digs into these themes with sophistication, grace, emotion, and humor. The way she brings these important messages to life Hit you hard, but also you can dance to it. This is Tammy's second appearance on the podcast. She was first on episode 79. Definitely check out her first conversation as we talk about her life in her family band, move to New Zealand, and her relationship to fashion and appearance. She also got into experiencing the death of her father, the musician Ron Nielsen. He appears on the new album Kingmaker in several forms. For instance, on the song Beyond the Stars, written with Delaney Davidson, Tammy sings about the loss of her father and the longing to be with him again, with legendary Willie Nelson singing the part of Tammy's dad. Tammy is one in a million. Enjoy this conversation and her brilliant new album, As We Go Track by Track, on the album, Kingmaker, on Basic Folk. Tammy, my queen. Cindy, my minion. (laughs) Ah. Oh my gosh, I've never been more happy. Um, You are of First Nation descent, and when we last spoke, you had just connected with your cousin Peggy, mm. who you were talking about was the first female chief of, can you help me with the name of this island? Well, it's, Man- yeah, Manitoulin Island. Man- Manitoulin yeah. Island in Ontario, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the latest with you connecting with your Ojibwe heritage? Well, um, we spoke a few times throughout lockdown, I think, because that's like
2: the last time I spoke to you was kind of in the midst of mm-hmm. lockdowns. Um, and of course, I haven't been able to get home um, s- since then. You know, our borders have been closed yeah. up until just a couple months ago. Um, and so I'm just about to head next month. I'm heading over to Ontario for a tour. So I'm hoping that at some point I'm gonna be able to sneak up and, and see her at some point and actually meet her in person after all this time. Um, yeah. So yeah, I feel like our, our conversations, you know, when you're like, we talked about this two years ago, but it's still exactly the same because, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like time has stood still for, you know, yeah. a lot of us. But yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting home and obviously seeing all my family and getting to explore that a little bit further.
1: Um, So in preparation for this interview, I went back and listened to our first interview. And if anyone hasn't heard that, it's a must listen. Um, We go over all of Tammy's history, um, her connection with her father and her brothers and growing up on the roads. And this interview, we're going to focus on your new album, Kingmaker, which is your fifth record. Um, which was recorded at Neil Finn's Roundhead studio, which um, I'm not sure if he was there or if you have met him, but I really would like to give you the opportunity to talk about how amazing Neil Finn is. Neil is awesome. And yes, he
2: was there because as I said, um, we, were, we weren't in lockdown yet. We were in between lockdowns. We, we finished the album a week before we went into like a four month lockdown. So it was Whoa. very fortuitous timing. Um, but it's been kind of a crazy time, and I think it would be the same you know around the world. A lot of our artists, especially in New Zealand, you know, we spend most of our time touring overseas and we're out of the country because everything's so far away, you gotta make a, a, a big yeah. go of it when you do. And so normally Neil is gone a lot of the time, but he and Sharon actually live above. Uh, the studios in this beautiful... He lives
1: above the store.
2: Uh, yes, <laughs> he totally... He is Kim's convenience, basically. Um, so, yeah, he's like... He he and Sharon live above in this beautiful old building that they've converted into Roundhead Studios, one of the, the best, if not the best, studio in New Zealand. And they happen to be home because everyone was home um, mm. because of the pandemic. And... It was really... I I I have worked... I've gotten to play with Neil, and, you know, he's obviously a legend everywhere, but he's a, particularly a huge legend in New Zealand. Um, but he's mm. very involved in the music community here, and um, very down-to-earth and approachable, as most Kiwis are. Um, mm. So I... Um, I was over the moon to have him kind of popping in and out, you know, I'd see him in the morning going for his coffee or, you know, he'd pop in and listen to songs and and come and go. And he came kind of, it was very cute. He kind of came up to me quite shyly and said, would you mind if Sharon and I, the day that the strings are recording and you're doing all the orchestral stuff, would you mind if we sat in and listened? Like, that's just so special to be able to sit in and listen to that. I'm like, are you asking me right now? (laughs) (laughs) So cute. But it was really encouraging and special to have him just popping in and out every once in a while because he'd pop in and listen and then kind of drop a word of encouragement and then leave again, you know. And this Mm -hmm. was the first time that I had taken the helm solely as the producer um normally i co-produce all my albums with others and so this was the first time it was it was quite daunting to kind of especially with you know it being a much bigger album sonically than i'd ever done and and so having him pop in and say really encouraging things meant more to me than i think he realized you know mm. it was it was really yeah yeah encouraging
1: No, producing on your own, I'm wondering, like, because, like, I just had a conversation with an artist on Basic Folk recently about, like, the fear of pain or the, like, the anticipation, um, it being, like, a lot uh, scarier or more painful than, like, the actual, like, event, you know? So, like, if you were, uh, if you had that kind of experience of, like, In trying to prepare for this album you're like psyching yourself up versus what was it actually like when you got in there
2: yeah that is so true (laughs) that is so so true (laughs) I you know I I often feel like I waste so much time worrying about things that never eventuate and I'm like god I could have saved myself so much so much heartache (sighs) and sleep I could have gotten so much more sleep But yeah, it was definitely daunting and, but it was also exciting at the same time. So it was, um, I think the excitement took over the fear and, Mm. uh, but there were definitely lots of butterflies. But then once I was in the studio, I think any good producer knows they're only as good as the team that they've assembled. Really, Mm -hmm. like, your job is not to be this grandmaster controlling things, it's enlisting the people that you trust and that you know are going to deliver what you're kind of holding inside your head, they're going to bring it to life. And so Mm -hmm. having my band, um, having uh, Victoria Kelly, who did all of the orchestral arrangements, she is one of my dear, dear friends, one of my favorite people, and she um is a is a genius award winning composer which helps and also does a lot of Neil Finn's work um so she's mm. a bit of a legend as well so I knew I was in wonderful hands with her um Simon Gooding who engineered the album he is a master as well so I was just I was surrounded by a team that I completely trusted that I knew if I wanted feedback they would You know give it um in a way that was really kind Mm -hmm. and they all want what's best for the album as well and so yeah that that put me at ease as soon as we were in that environment it was like oh yeah like it's just having like Mm -hmm. all my mates like supporting me yeah
1: yeah that's so cool Uh, okay let's go track by track through kingmaker So, Kingmaker, (laughs) the opening track on the album where you are a woman and you're calling yourself a king. I love that. I love like calling women kings or like calling women gods, like using male words to describe, you know, women and non men. Like, I just like love that so much. How did you like come into that practice? And what are your thoughts on a woman calling herself a king?
2: I think that, unfortunately, it's still a very bold and almost controversial thing to do, um, which it it really shouldn't be, you know. Um, Coming from, like, having Indigenous heritage, being in a country, New Zealand, where the Indigenous peoples, the First Nation people here, are such an integral part of everyday life, and their culture permeates this country, um, it is not unusual at all for females to be the chief or the leader, you know? And so it's it's not a radical concept, but in, mm-hmm. in white Western culture, it definitely is. Um, so I think it was kind of stepping into that power and Um, realizing that you can hold that, 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 that space and it's taken a very, very long time to kind of come to that confidence, you know, that the song itself is, is a journey. It kind of is a snapshot of that journey of, you know, in the beginning, kind of talking about waiting and waiting for this, this Kingmaker to grant you an opportunity or, um, give you his blessing which are kind of, you know, symbolizing the gatekeepers, uh, particularly, you know, in my industry, but as women in general (laughs) in this world, you know? And so, you know, that's kind of showing how I've felt for a very large part of my life. And then it's this kind of slow realization, like in the next verse and saying, well, hold on, like my famine made your feast, like you don't hold the power. Your power is borrowed from me and kind of that dawning realization. And then the last line being uh, that I'm already a King after all, like all this time I've been waiting for you to bestow like these, these crumbs and Mm. coming to the realization, Oh my God, like all this time I've held this power and I, I control my destiny and and that song definitely captures my personal journey as a as a musician but as a woman in this world
1: The next song is Careless Woman, and at the time that we're recording this, you've just released the song in the video, and I am all riled up. Um, (laughs) You said this uh, song was inspired by dating tips from a 1938 article in Parade Magazine, Uh, One of the tips was careless women never appeal to gentlemen. Don't talk while dancing. So I actually found some of this article online. um, And while reading it, (laughs) I had like a really crazy, like visceral reaction where I felt like, I felt like these old tendencies of mine were like firing up, like, don't show any affection or emotion towards your escort or whoever you're you're with. Like, don't get them to talk about emotional things. Don't talk about things that he's not interested in. Don't drink too much. Like, basically, don't take up space. Mm. So like going back and looking over that and I found it on a blog post and they're like, ha 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 isn't this funny, but it also seems like baggage that women still carry around in 2022. Um, I So much of that stuff I could relate to in terms of my family of origin, which I'm curious about you because your family sounds so different than mine, um, treating you like an equal, being so supportive um, in, in different ways than mine was. But what's your reaction to that experience of being able to still see that baggage existing today? <laughs>
2: Yeah, reading that article, I had a very visceral (laughs) response as well. It, I immediately, like, it was immediate. I was sitting at my computer and saw, I read it on the computer and I literally stood up from my chair, put on my voice memo on my phone and started stomping and clapping and singing this song. It was like an immediate reaction to that and the song comes across, I guess it can be seen as like tongue in cheek, but it's, there's not a lot of joking in that song. It's, Mm. um, it's sarcasm and it's anger and it's also being, taking up that space and it's rebellious, you know, um, and empowering. And the, I mean, the first thing I thought of were, were my grandmothers who, lived in this 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. thinking of that effect on my mother and how it's so deeply embedded. And then her effect on me, how it's so embedded in every one of us. And people are like, Oh, that's like, you know, 80 years ago now or whatever. And, and it's like, you know, that generational thread is still so strong in all of us and society has not changed that much you know as many as much as people kind of laugh about what's said it may not be said that way anymore but it's been internalized by for generations yeah yeah, yeah.
0: I wanna be her when I grow up I wanna be her when I grow up when they look at you they see a lover tongue of Dark heads, existing for their pleasure waiting their When they look at you they see a
1: mother. The next song is "Baby You're a Gun," which I kind of have. First of all, I want to say that I completely agree with you and that my views totally align with yours. Um, But I have kind of, I kind of want to have like a little bit of a nuanced conversation about like a, a certain aspect of this song I took away. So Baby or a Gun is a song about the underestimation of women and the roles society expects them to play. And you were inspired while reading Dolly Parton's autobiography. And she says, many an old boy has found out too late that I look like a woman, but think like a man. It's a great mistake to assume that because I look soft, I do business that way. So, I completely agree, but I kind of want to like flip this on its head a little bit. I feel like I've encountered women in my life that kind of act like men and have found success professionally, but it seems like, and I like could be completely wrong, but it seems like they have like a weird relationship with other women. And I was wondering if you um, agree or if we could talk about that. I don't know if you watch Grey's Anatomy or not, but there's a character. Uh, Dr. Bailey, who I get that vibe from, Um, but what what do you think?
2: Yeah, there is definitely and I know many of these women um, who have internalized misogyny so much and have been so harmed by it that their way of battling it or dealing with it is to become one of the boys and be seen as a non-threat. And therefore it allows them to move in the same circles, but a lot of it it can be to the detriment of the women around them. And I know a lot of music managers like this, or you know women who have had to be in the music industry since you know the 80's and 90's. Um, mm-hmm. and you can see that in them. You can see what they've had to battle to get to where they are. And at the time, that was the only way they could see forward. It's, it's starting to change now, but you, you see it in the... I remember having a conversation with a particular music manager who was, you know, kind of scoffing about the Me Too movement as a woman and saying, you know, when I, when I was at this big label, I used to walk in, it was all men, and I'd just bang the board table and the looks on their faces, you know, and you just go in and you do, you know, you, you just you just do it kind of thing and and mm. it really saddened me to hear that mm-hmm. um because she's fallen victim to misogyny almost without even realizing it um mm-hmm. so that's a very dangerous position to be in i I don't put dolly in that category I think she's very she's surrounded by women as well in her life and and uses her platform to uplift other women as well um and equally like people in the rainbow community um and surrounds herself with the rainbow community, which is very interesting to me um, hmm. so it's um but yes, I totally know what you mean there are definitely. and it tends to be a specific specific generation of women and Mm -hmm. I can completely understand why that was their only tool in their kit of surviving.
1: I remember uh, being in my early 20s working at like a good old boys uh, news station where I was like the only woman in the production studio and like the sports guy would come in to the studio and he like wouldn't even look at me uh, until the day I used the C word in front of him, and he was like very uh he was like, "Oh, okay, we can like talk now, but I remember thinking like after a while, like and this is all kind of subconscious of just being like i don't want to act like that, but yeah it, it mm-hmm. you i feel like now i'm it's it's great to be able to have a choice of whether or not you want to go down that road mm-hmm. or not." But it's
2: still definitely, I mean, it's not to say things have changed that much again. It's, it becomes a choice knowing that you're going to be the problematic, you're going to be deemed as the problem or the problematic one, you know, and coming to terms with like being, being fine with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally. Totally.
0: Got me some cows and I got me some chickens Got me a dog and a guitar for picking fights With folks who try to cut the string on my kite That's right
1: Next song is King of Country Music. It's your autobiography and story in music form, opening for Kitty Wells, touring, slipping demo tapes in laundry bags with stars. This is a song about truly earning your place in the industry. The amount of confidence you exude regularly is stunning and inspiring to me. For you, how difficult is it to maintain your confidence on the regular and channel it to the point where it comes out so strongly in your songs? It's
2: definitely a mindful choice. It's not something that comes naturally. Um, I I mean, there's an element of confidence and, you know, there's a foundation of confidence I have that was instilled in me by my parents and and in the way I was raised and in my career because of the things I've achieved and uh, the level of skill that, you know, I've worked on. But as a just as a human being, as a woman, um, you, you have to give yourself a lot of pep talks and treat yourself the way you would a girlfriend um, or a loved one, you know, and speak to yourself when you start getting all that internalized worry or imposter syndrome or any of those lovely things that Mm. we all battle with. You really have to be mindful of what's in your mind and what comes out of your mouth, because that's what starts becoming the way you view yourself um mm-hmm. it's also surrounding yourself with people that are positive and encouraging and people that model for you oh wow like she's doing that she's saying that she's wearing that she's and and she's still standing like <laughs> you know <laughs> um, like any woman who is boldly taking up space and holding that space I try to surround myself with women like that, whether it be in person or in my feed on social media, you know, you quickly become what goes, whatever goes in, comes out.
0: The daughter, not the sun. Could the king of country music be the daughter, not the sun? Last night I woke from a dream You and me
1: were together The next song, oh man, it's Beyond the Stars, which was written by you and Delaney Davidson about the loss of both your fathers and the longing to be with them again. And you said after you recorded the song, you cried for three days. (laughs) Uh, And Willie Nelson is also singing on this song with you. You posted this, Striking video of your reaction to hearing "Beyond the Stars" for the first time, um, which reminds me of like I've I've talked about this a lot of about this video. It just reminds me of like the best of humanity. You know, just it's just so pure and so emotional and so real. So now that some time has passed and you maybe are crying a little less, even though I'm like kind of crying right now, thinking of that video, (laughs) how, um, how did this song change your relationship with your grief?
2: Oh, wow. Um, this song, you know, grief is, is this crazy beast. It's, it's, um, it's associated with pain, obviously, and loss and missing and that, has been the experience of grief and, and continues to be depending on the day and the time and what happens. Um, but this experience has turned it, it's kind of turned into something really beautiful as well and something I treasure. And because mm. that, it keeps me close to my dad. So having it, it, there were a lot of layers uh, going into that crying, you know, it was like pure bliss and joy, um, hearing Willie's voice, being the voice of my dad in a song and mm. thinking about how my dad would react to that. That was what got me like, that was the thing that made me cry for three days was wishing he was here to share that with him tangibly. Um, but of <laughs> course it wouldn't have happened if he was here, that song wouldn't have been written. Uh, Willie wouldn't have been had to be his voice. It could have been my dad's voice, you know, um, all those things. So that really layered. Yeah. Like that realization that the loss is what brought this blessing, you know? And so that was a whole layer. And, and then of course, just it being Willie Nelson and, what he's meant in my life and to my music and to my family's music. You know, we, we performed his song on cloudy day at the end of every one of our shows growing up. And I always thought it was a traditional gospel song, like written hundreds <laughs> of like... years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I remember like having that conversation with him, saying how I never realized like he was a part of my life his words coming out of my mouth like for decades and just that whole like even down to the smallest thing like when we first started putting out albums as a family and we first got distributed into shops you know like I'd run into a store I'd look for the country section and then I'd look for the Willie Nelson section because we were always behind him because of (laughs) the alphabetical order. So I, he was always like my true north, like look for Willie Nelson and you'll find me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like quite literally. And the, and, and the, the meaning of this song has grown and grown, you know, like I, um, flew to Texas to perform the song with him live on his ranch in March. And um, just days before uh, he lost his beloved sister Bobby and you know Mm -hmm. she has been for 50 years she's been like his right-hand man you know and Mm -hmm. she is the one playing on all those classics those classic albums and the way that trigger is voice on his albums her piano is a voice on his album you know like just Mm -hmm. like his own voice and I could imagine you know I couldn't imagine that loss but I also can because you know I work closely with my brother uh, and tour with him and growing up in a family band I understand like that deep family connection of performing together and Lucas said to me you know dad's been playing that on loop like he uh, to the point mm. where i'm like is he okay <laughs> like has, does he remember he's listened <laughs> to this 50 billion times like <laughs> um he's just been listening to it on loop he had played it for bobby um oh. and she loved it and it was kind of it became then this connection for the two of them and that kind of added this entire other layer of house it's it feels sacred It feels really sacred to be part of that, his grieving process as well. And unbeknownst to him, that when he recorded it, that it would become that for him. And...
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: lots of, lots of heavy, but also sacred and beautiful layers.
0: her Sunday shoes
1: the heat off the ash quivers like the people and while she in the blues uh, the next song Green Peaches uh, which is a southern Gothic tale about the exploitation of young and vulnerable women by men in power uh, in the wake of an expose of sexual harassment in the local New Zealand music community you wanted to write about a story that is unfortunately all too common. And I'm reading this, also I forgot to mention, there's a really well-written track by track that I had access to, so that's where I'm getting all of these notes. Um, <laughs> but the metaphor, <laughs> the metaphor for green peaches seems really powerful. Um, can you talk about that idea of uh, green peaches and why that is the metaphor you chose to use? Mm.
2: Yeah, I have a peach tree right outside my window in my lounge where, or in our living room, Kiwis call it a lounge. I'm bilingual. Um, <laughs> <but> where, <laughs> where I do a lot of my writing and it, it never tends to like fruit to really beautiful peaches because the birds get to it too quickly. But um, often has these like hard little green peaches that are so beautiful And so I think that, you know, helped helped me find a metaphor, I think, subliminally (laughs) (laughs) looking at that while I was writing it. Sure. Um, but I am friends with, uh, the women and non-binary people that came forward. You know, New Zealand is a very small country. We've got 5 million people in the whole country. And then boiled down the music industry and it's a very very small circle and so when all this happened it wasn't kind of this abstract thing like oh it happened in the music industry you know which is no no shock to anyone but these are all it was people that we all knew the victims were people we the survivors sorry the survivors were all people that we all knew and the perpetrators were people that we all knew mm. very well. And it was more than just, you know, I, I get people saying, oh, your, your music's political. And it's like, you might see it that way because the only people who think it's political are people who have not lived this experience. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very personal experience. And so these women... It's hard to talk about this
1: <laughs> without mm. crying.
2: You know, the uh, these women are beautiful, beautiful young women and non-binary people, you know, and uh, the best of us. And so, so love music and so love this industry and just want to be artists. And, amazing songwriters and to have this continually get in the way of that every one of them has dropped out of the industry or stepped back from it Mm -hmm. some have left the country to try to heal from it and it it, you know when people talk to me about when i you know when they kind of want to get into a battle of oh, it's just because there aren't as many women. That's why there is isn't equality in the music industry. There aren't as many women. Mm -hmm. And that's such an ignorant thing for, you know, when you know what I know, that women get knocked out of the game before they even get to the starting line by bullshit like this.
1: next song is Mama's Talking, which was assigned to you by Annie D'Angelo, Willie's wife. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sounds like uh, it was right after Kamala famously said the words, I'm speaking while uh, Mike Pence interrupted during a debate. And you and Annie were talking about your experience with uh, a guy who was repeatedly interrupting you and blocking you from talking to someone. I have been noticing recently, and I was like going on a streak for like, in one week it happened to me three times, that certain men do not listen to me when I am giving them instructions on how to do something that I am fully 100% more informed about than they are. So I thank you for giving us the song where I can send them. Uh, I can send them the song when it happens again. Um, But (laughs) seriously, in reality, when you find yourself in a situation like that, how do you handle it? And how did writing this song maybe change your approach in reality?
2: God handling it in the moment, as you say, is a very different thing um, now I will spontaneously burst into this song, so that's sorted. <laughs>
1: Problem solved. Yeah, Next. you know
2: it's like having responses that you like copy and paste. You know, it that'll be this song.
1: Copy and paste.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> a, a draft template in Gmail.
2: Yeah, this is this song is a draft template for all of us who are interrupted. I guess I tend to. Uh, at At the time this happened the the particular incident that inspired the song, I think you you're just in shock in the moment, you know, and uh doesn't it
1: leave you breathless it, it like does. takes your breath away
2: it does it the rudeness of it is just astounding to me it's physical eh it it feels like someone's like mm. pushed you or kicked you in the stomach or something and at the time, I remember my brother was with me he was kind of standing off to the side, uh, doing something else and, and kind of watching this. this, is Jay. My brother Jay. Yeah. He was kind of watching this exchange and I walked away and he was just, he was just shaking his head. And I'm like, is it just me or (laughs) like, did that just happen? He goes, Oh, it happened. (laughs) Because there's always that, you know, again, it's embedded in us as women, like, to second guess and go, oh, I mean, that's classic gaslighting. Oh, is it me? Am I taking it too personally? Am I overly emotional about this? You know, that's always kind of our go-to, our default. Um, So having him watch the whole thing and go, no, (laughs) (laughs) that's what happened. Um, And it was, like, gross to watch. Yeah, and so in those situations now, I guess I, I try to be more mindful when I'm when when things like that happen. It's really hard not to be taken by surprise. And you know, again like we said, it's a physical thing. It's like being caught in this moment that we, you know, we've all had those moments where something's said that's inappropriate and then 2 minutes later you're like, "Damn, it, I should have said this, but it's too late. The moment's passed or even 20 seconds later." Um mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I tend to, now when those things happen, just sit quietly and wait for them to finish and then resume exactly the sentence I was interrupted. So almost like Mm. you've just talked over me like what I said didn't exist and now I will do that to you.
1: All of these songs are very special, Tammy, but this is a very special song. Um, It's I Can Forget. You found a tape of your dad, the musician Ron Nielsen, um, who died seven years ago. This had an unfinished song on it. You finished it up and wrote the lyrics for I Can Forget, which is a song about being caught unexpectedly by grief. So... I don't know how often this happens for you um, to come across um, unfinished songs by Ron Nielsen, but can you talk about how you feel when you find something like that from your dad?
2: Um, The first time it happened was with a song called Lonely on uh, my Don't Be Afraid album. And that was like immediately in the wake of his death. And it's kind of crazy, whenever I'm going to write an album, it there tends to be like all of a sudden this unearthed song tends to turn up and or or an idea or a melody or a demo of his and um which is kind of crazy because like growing up in a musical family i thought i knew all of my dad's songs and even his bits that he was working on you know like it and so it's kind of crazy to find these little treasures and what the way it normally happens is through my brother Jay in this instance my mom was doing a clean out of her storage space and there was a box of old demo work tapes so these would have this would have been quite old for it to be tapes instead of you know voice memos and digital and um she gave the box to Jay and said you know if you want any of these like have a listen or whatever and And so Jay went through and dug out his old tape recorder and, um, was having a listen through and found this snippet of, it was just music and melody and a very different tempo and kind of style to what we ended up doing, using. But, um, when he sends these, it's like, it feels like finding a note from him tucked in a drawer that I've never read like that's what it feels mm. like. I remember the week after he died, I was going through helping mom clean out some of the house and 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 drawers and I opened his bedside t- drawer and there was this journal that and I didn't even remember giving this to him. It was like a father-daughter journal and I was like, "Oh, I must have been I was a teenager when I gave it to him, like early teens." And it was when do you remember the song "Butterfly Kisses" by Bob Carlisle came out? It was like this huge,
1: oh yeah, like
2: one hit wonder, right? And it was a journal. I think it was called "Butterfly Kisses," and it was like a father daughter journal that came
1: out at the time. Oh my god! In the throes of <laughs> adolescence,
2: <laughs> yes. And so <laughs> I had filled out my side and given given it to him for like probably Father's Day or something. And it was, you know, appropriately embarrassing, like, you know, really, really, really cheesy. <laughs> so, so bad, so bad. But of course, I'd given it to him unfilled on his side. And so I opened the book and there he had filled out his side and I'd never seen it and I'd never read it. And it was like
1: jackpot.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. I just immediately start sobbing. And that's how it feels every time yeah. um, I find or my brother gives me this kind of Ooh, It feels like of a, a butterfly song. kiss. It does. Stop it! Stop it, Cindy! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Led to faraway shows fighting for a
1: better life. The next song is The Grudge, which is inspired by the true story of your great grandfather disowning your grandfather who married outside of his faith. It explores patterns of behavior learned and passed down through family lines and making the choice to break the chain and put a stop to passing those grudges on to your own children. I feel like. The first step in that process is actually recognizing the patterns before you can work on breaking them. What has been your experience of identifying those patterns in your family and in yourself?
2: Mm, not a fun one. I can tell you that much right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's delightful. I get balloons. I get cake. Yes,
2: I loved every minute of it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this, you know, it's a painful process. I think we all grow up. I think all of us as, you know, children, our parents are larger than life. They're almost, they're superhuman, right? And then um, as you become an adult and a parent yourself, you start seeing, like, you start realizing the way that you are learning and growing as you parent. Like, at first, you're just a kid that doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Um, And realizing... Oh, like there's some grace there um going they didn't know what the hell they were doing either and they were just learning and growing with us. We were we're almost all kids growing together. They're just an older version, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. They just they're just an older version of a kid that knows how to drive. <laughs> Pretty
2: much and has like yeah. the power to buy buy stuff and they have money in their wallet yeah. hopefully. Uh, sometimes they do. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, um, really unsettling to see your parents as people. Like, you know what I mean? Then, then that sounds horrible and selfish, but I think that as kids, that's how we hold our parents. Like, they're not like us. They're like this upper echelon. They're the management, you know, <laughs> like, and realizing like things are way more precarious than we ever realized, and that they were only ever equipped with the tools given them by their parents, which is terrifying, Mm. Um, because they had no tools. Those tools
1: are old and rusty and also asbestos.
2: Yes, yes. Chain smoking (laughs) tools. (laughs) Alcoholic tools. Um, Yeah. Yeah. All those lovely things. And so kind of that realization, I think, digging into my grandparents' stories, it it was so... It gave me this whole understanding and grace for my parents. Mm. And seeing them as children, seeing my parents as, as children, and the tools they were given, and the job that they did with what they had, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that that is a healing thing to realize, like as, as your inner kid and you hope to God that your kids will have that same grace for you and, and the mistakes I will definitely make and am already probably definitely making. So yeah, it's, it's a painful process, but I think finding those little pockets of grace uh, and forgiveness is really important. And This, that song, I normally wouldn't even probably go there, but this time in history has brought so much up for all of us. You know, it's, it's such a divisive time. Um, I often say, you know, there's the statistics of physical deaths and physical illnesses in a pandemic. But what they don't have the statistics for are how many relationships have died and, Mm -hmm. or been broken, or trust, and the things that have been broken in this time, the grudges that are being held, and that will be held for decades to come because of this time. Whether it be the politics of what's happening, you know, to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, mask or not mask like it, everything is so divided and there's no room for grace a lot of the time and so um, that was kind of me processing that in this song oh.
1: last song in the album ain't my job it's about breaking free from social contracts you never signed and laughing in the face of expectations society puts on women um there's a lot of messages that you are delivering in this song seemingly to your partner or a partner about making dinner being thinner which is very good rhyme um (laughs) and i feel like I mean, I'm making an assumption here, Tammy, but I feel like this is not your husband that you are talking to (laughs) directly. And this might be obvious, but um, when you have a good partnership, this is, again, a very obvious question. Where do you get inspiration for songs like this where it sounds like you're talking to a bad spouse and then also like this is not in a belittling way, but how does your husband um, like these type of Tammy songs? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know what? I think it, it doesn't faze him in the least because he knows it's not about him. Um, if anything, he cooks dinner way more than I do. Um, <laughs> the character that I often am singing to and referencing in my songs is misogyny. And that can come from a man or a woman. Um mm-hmm. And, and our society and patriarchy, you know, the whole kind of uh, system, the broken system which we function under. And so it that uh, misogyny is a character in my songs. And mm-hmm. whether that's embodied by a partner or a boss or a colleague, a family member, anyone, you know, and I think that we can all relate to that, anyone who's trying to oppress you or or kind of place their rules and expectations on you so so that's you know when I and and, uh I think Grant knows that that's definitely who I'm singing to and not to (laughs) it's so funny because my kids are like part of the ain't my job you know they're they're singing in that (laughs) they're singing with me uh in the course for King of Country Music singing uh God is in the garden, devil's in the dirt, you know. So those are my boys singing on all of these songs. And they told totally me Fighting the
1: Patriarchy.
2: Fighting it, man. <laughs> they know that it's definitely not their dad. And but it was quite funny, my seven-year-old, when he first heard Ain't My Job, and the first line saying, You want me to cook you dinner, but it ain't my job, he looked at me and he's like, But it is your job to cook my dinner. <laughs> and I said, well, it is for a little while, but not for long, buddy. So <laughs> enjoy it while yeah. it
1: lasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And oh you're my the God.
2: only one whose job it is yeah. for me to cook your dinner.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, they often say, you know, they'll listen to the words. They they listen or they ask me whether it be my song or any song. And they say, what's this song about, Mommy? What are they saying? And, and so you tell them and... And, and you know, when I first played them some of these songs, my nine-year-old was, he said, I really like these feminist songs.
1: <laughs> oh my god, yeah. give this woman a trophy.
2: Right. I, my job's done. My job's done. But, yeah, because they said, you know, when they were they're like, I don't understand. Why? What do you mean, like, 20 cents less on every dollar? And I'm like, and I explained about equal, you know, the disparity and in pay for women and and of course as children they're just like what that's not fair you know it's just so black and white to them like that's not Mm -hmm. fair like how come this person isn't getting paid as much as this person it's just unbelievable to them and and i want them to maintain that you know and and when they first asked me like what's a feminist i said someone who believes that women should be treated this equally as men Oh, I guess I'm a feminist. I said, sounds like you are. (laughs) That's good.
1: Love it. Doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Before we go, do you have time for a quick lightning round? Sure. Okay, here we go. Tammy, what is a song that makes you cry every time?
2: beyond the stars i can only think of that because we just talked about it
1: <laughs> um, we will accept this answer
2: no um actually um emmett till by emily harris can't listen yeah. to
1: that who is your guitar hero
2: it's oh it's hard to choose um Brittany howard amethyst kia sister rosetta uh Ooh. bonnie bonnie Rae. i have to like those are yeah i can't just pick one
1: what is your favorite scented candle? Mm, I'm a sucker for anything like coconut. Yeah. That's a good one.
2: Yeah. It's like it immediately makes you feel like you're on holiday.
1: Hell yeah, it does. (laughs) Who do you unabashedly stan?
2: Unabashedly... Dolly and Mavis.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What is one product you cannot live without?
2: My liquid eyeliner. (laughs) I told you I would not be wearing makeup today and look like... I woke up and I'm like I still need I still need my liquid eyeliner (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay This is the last question Uh, I know that you're going to Canada soon um, But where else would you want to go Once travel restrictions Are lifted
2: Uh, Like for destination first thing I'm Planning is Nashville Mm. Yeah oh man That's always my go to
1: that needs to happen. The home away from home. Tammy, thank you so much for talking to me. I like was so excited to reconnect with you again. This album is so great. Congratulations. And thanks for making such important, great music.
2: Oh, thanks, Cindy. Uh, you're always, honestly, the best interview. You always kill me with your questions.
0: <laughs> i got to be
1: on my toes. <laughs> yeah. Drink two cups of coffee. Yeah. Um, also... I do want to say, um, Tammy Nielsen is a member of Basic Folk, and, um, honestly, like, your support of the podcast, like, when, when your contribution, like, rolled in, I was, like, bowled over, um, so I really appreciate it, uh, thank you,
2: you. you. You're doing the Lord's work, girl.
1: This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there, wherever you get podcasts. You can search for Basic Folk on the SiriusXM app, or you can check out our website, basicfolk.com. Thank you so much for checking it out and listening all the way to the end. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.